Financial services industry is making a lot of changes to cope with this crisis, understanding that their business and the world may never return to the things as they were. Customers who have gone online may stay there. Those banks or financial services institutions, there are many that have closed their branches temporarily might not even open the branches again. Even traditional personal services like advisory, mortgages, wealth management are increasingly going digital as has customer onboarding. Tanvi, what do you think about the role of technology, customer experience in wealth management and private banking sector? That's the first part. And the second part is how is this sector evolving or evolved with the rapid digitization? So I think technology is fundamentally changing almost every area of the financial services landscape, from insurance to banking to wealth and asset management. And that pace of change is increasing, fundamentally fueled by client demand, by advances in technology, and uh, new entrants, new fintech entrants to each of those marketplaces. Wealth and private banking, the area I'm from, uh, are certainly no exception to that, although I would say it's probably the least progressive in its adoption of technology, but that's fundamentally changing over the spectrum of wealth management. If I think about sort of the mass affluence space, you know, we've seen the rise of the robo-advisor. So that's a digital platform that gathers data and uses that data with algorithms to fundamentally provide unbiased advice and execution across the investment landscape. And it really does provide a, a lower cost, unbiased advice to those customers. And they're gaining huge traction. I think the FCA has had more applications, so that's the regulator for financial services, has had more applications for robo-advisors than any other entrant in, into the financial services landscape. But even at the other end of the wealth, spectrum. Technology is essential to having a better client experience. Clients want to have a better understanding of their wealth, their investments and opportunities and technology allows them to do that. So if you aren't fundamentally changing your business model as a result of technology, the likelihood is you'll get left behind. Whether that's, as you say, in onboarding, in risk management, in analytics, or client reporting or just in product distribution. Every part of the financial services business can be improved with the use of technology. That's brilliant. Thanks, Tanvi. And exactly that's what we'll be exploring in today's conversation. Welcome to the Infosys Knowledge Institute podcast, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design, and future of work. The topic today is a really exciting one. It's about evolution of wealth management and private banking sector, entrepreneurship, and also a world of wealth management post-COVID crisis. I'm Anand Verma, European Head of Digital Services for Infosys and founder and CEO of Brilliant Basics. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Tanvi Davda, who is the Managing Partner and Head of Clients at Saranac Partners. Tanvi, thanks for joining us today. Tanvi, before um, we kick off the discussion about the sector itself, you know, your background is so interesting. You know, you've got extensive amount of experience in financial services, financial markets, both capital markets as well as wealth management arena globally. You also have two degrees, you know, one in BSc chemistry, second one is MSc in financial studies. I'm really excited to kind of open up with this. How did you get to where you've gotten to so far? 
so it's um, been an eclectic journey, let's put it like that. So as you say, I got a degree in chemistry, but like many people at that sort of that point, we joined the financial services arena. So I actually joined the trading floor of a, of a big investment bank, um, knowing really nothing about financial services. And in fact, at the beginning, even the language they used was sort of alien to me. I really didn't know what people were talking about. But it was one that fascinated me and one that trained me well. So I was very fortunate that I got to work with a phenomenal team that invested in me and was patient with me. And I got to learn about the world of investments, taking on a number of different roles and having the opportunity to go and work in a number of different countries. So I spent the first 17 years of my career, as you rightly say, in the sort of capital markets arena, firstly working for Credit Suisse. And then for ABN AMRO, which was then taken over by Royal Bank of Scotland and doing a really quite a broad variety of roles from trading, sales, structuring, as well as for more operational roles, being a chief operating officer. So it really was quite a diverse experience that I had. And then post the financial crisis, I actually moved into wealth management, again, an, an industry that I had little knowledge of and joined Barclays Wealth, which was on a growth journey to really build up its capabilities in this space. And again, had a phenomenal opportunity there, spent five years at Barclays Wealth, learning and developing and really understanding the sort of arena of private wealth management. And that, of course, all before four of us, all come from Barclays Heritage, co-founded Saranac Partners. So Saranac Partners focuses on the community of people that were described as ultra high net worth individuals. And what we do is we provide advice and solutions for our clients across the spectrum of their financial needs, whether they be simple or significantly more complex. So we founded the business in 2015. We'd never been entrepreneurs before. We'd never started a business before, but we started with a blank sheet of paper and we really sought to try and understand and build something that was going to be there for clients over the long term and was truly bespoke and advice led. So that was our sort of founding principles in thinking about how we do things differently, where we can challenge ourselves to, to create a different client experience. And of course, that's how I met you, Anand because that was our sort of journey in thinking about the client experience and the ability to provide clients with insight and analytics and reporting for them on their financial holdings. And when we looked around in the marketplace as to technology solutions that we might be able to enable that, we didn't like anything we saw. So we, we did that thing, which uh, many people do, where they go, how hard can it be? We'll design our own. And so with the help of Brilliant Basics, who were, you know, just phenomenal, we were able to build something bespoke, creative, that fundamentally gave clients a level of access and insight into their financial holdings, which I think is almost one of the best things we've created at Saranac Partners. And certainly our clients love it. So thank you, Anand, uh, to you and the team for all of your help in that journey. Thank you. Uh, you and your team remain one of our 
favorite favorite clients and and partners so you know we we are absolutely privileged and humbled by that experience and and what a story like one startup helping other startup to build something really amazing together as well so thank you for the for the opportunity thank you for you know believing in us as well and and we have thoroughly enjoyed that closeness and partnership and we continue to kind of be close just you know before i move on to the the core of the topic you said you worked on the trading floor and the capital markets right and this is like we're talking about 17 years ago right and dare i ask um, you know almost a male dominated industry and especially the trading floor you know what were some of the opportunities and challenges you saw in that space unfortunately it was even longer than 17 years ago but that would be belying my age so we won't go there I was very fortunate because one of the things about being on a trading floor is actually it's very flat there's a little hierarchy people fundamentally are willing to give you a chance give you a shot you work hard you learn and those places are fantastic opportunities to be a sponge and to learn from all that's going around you and to really absorb it and take it in. So that's sort of really why it was such a fantastic opportunity and a learning space for me. And I have to say, I had a, I mean, entirely male dominated group, but an incredibly supportive team. In fact, they remain, you know, my friends today, many, many years after I stopped working in that firm and in that sort of space. That's, that's brilliant. And that's so good to hear that the support was there for you to kind of thrive and prosper in your journey. With regards to Saranac, when I got to know about Saranac by meeting you first time, I was so nervous. I remember that in that room, we're talking about agile and sprints and customer experience and all those kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the things that really kind of struck the chord with me was how laser focused you guys were about customer experience, right? And customer experience in the digital world, right? So how do you bring offline and online experience together? And you were describing the pillars of Saranac in terms of the way you're reimagining the industry. And you briefly mentioned what Saranac actually does. I would love to know what is the ethos of Saranac when it comes to customer experience and the way you think about the customer experience. Thanks, Anand. So the way that we think about everything we do at Saranac is fundamentally we founded the business to do things differently, to create a community based around like-minded people that have a shared wisdom and a collective learning. And we wanted to work really in partnership, which is why the partners part of Saranac Partners is so important. And we work as partners not only internally, but also with our clients to create what we hope are compelling opportunities and really meaningful solutions. And that's sort of really how we sort of started. We think about what we do differently. We're different in sort of what we believe and we're different in what we do. So we always start with the question. We seek to listen and understand and we don't make assumptions around what people need. We generally try to co-create a path with our clients and therefore hope we will be trusted partners for them over the long term. And everything we do has to sort of reinforce or support that client experience. But that's what we believe is key to building those long-term relationships. And long-term relationships is what our business, but almost any business is really all about. And that is super interesting, you know, long-term relationship, especially in a sector that is in some cases crowded with a number of kinds of private banks, large and small wealth management advisory firms out there. 
And, you know, one of the kind of key things when you're talking coming to my mind was how do you, as a startup, right, who is reimagining the whole sector, how do you actually build that portfolio of, you know, long-term business? Was it really hard at the beginning or was it easier because there was some previous relationship? What was the kind of sense of nervousness when starting a new business for any entrepreneur? Do you guys feel that at the beginning? So we definitely did this the hard way in that we did it by winning clients one by one by one. We didn't start with any founding client or business. We sort of did it on a field of dreams basis. We said we will build it and we fundamentally believe that because we are different, they will see that difference that clients will engage with us and stay with us. And that's absolutely been our experience, been going for just over three years now. And what's been fantastic is that our clients have become our greatest advocates. They are able to bring other people to, to us. Um, and that community is really important. And we want to celebrate and enjoy that community and bring other people to that experience. So that is sort of really how we've gone about doing it, as well as challenging ourselves and asking our clients to challenge us to improve wherever they see things could be done better. So, you know, we look at other industries, we look at our competition, and we see how we can continuously improve. And that's really important to us. We want to continue to evolve and to continue to grow, not just in terms of our clients, but also in terms of what we offer and how we offer it. I think the constant evolution is also an example of uh, a startup kind of mindset, right? And looks like, you know, not just you're reimagining the sector itself, but also the ways of working, which must be exciting for people who come from large companies uh, where it might be too process driven to some, you know, coming into a company like yours, which is agile and fluid and you're learning from each other and clients are your biggest advocates. And that creates a completely different sense of purpose for the organization than some of the uh, other approaches that large companies. Would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. I think that coming out of a big institution, whatever that institution is, and coming to a, a startup or a nascent business is a big shift. And some you know, are just better than others, but it certainly allows you to sort of really change the way you work, change the way you think, change the way you operate. Um, and this current crisis is forcing everyone to do that. And I have to say, I think, you know, there are businesses everywhere that are really stepping up to that challenge. And so it's sort of forcing us all to be more entrepreneurial in the way we think, the way we operate, the way we want to live. That's kind of, you know, the necessity is the mother of invention. We are seeing that and we'll talk more about that in our kind of second tier topic uh, or second topic, I must say. Before we kind of move away from this customer experience side of things, you know, I just want to kind of quote a few things to you and ask for a, a use case, an example, how Saranac looks at this. So McKinsey estimates that 75 to 80% of transactional operations and up to 40% of more strategic activities can be automated, right? Operation staff will have very different set of tasks, thus will need different kind of skill sets. There's a massive surge in the skill transformation refactoring that's going on. Instead of processing transactions or compiling data, they'll be using technology to advise clients on best financial options and products. 
do creative problem solving. Uh, and you talked about simpler problems and complex problems, both from a client perspective. Develop new products and services to enhance the customer experience. Let's talk a little bit more about the customer experience part from Saranac point of view. Also, the customer needs are changing and customer demographic is also changing, right? And I was stunned by this when working with Saranac. The way Saranac was looking at the customers and the clients of all kinds was very different angle to my previous work that I had done with some of the other banks. Can you just share a use case, a real example of how do you look at the client needs, right? What kind of variability you look at? How do you bring digital and kind of physical together in a real use case mindset? I think this area is really changing significantly. And one of the sort of key drivers is that I think clients want greater control. That is irrespective of whether your client is a millennial in their early 20s and 30s, or whether their client is actually a baby boomer in their, in their 70s and everyone in between. So I think if you can give your clients a better understanding of their situation, provide analytics in terms of how they're investing or saving, transparency over what they're paying for so that they can judge for themselves the value that they receive, they want that ability to understand that, not necessarily by just sitting down with an advisor all the time, but essentially to better inform themselves around their choices. And so digital capability that supports that is absolutely essential. You know, my belief is that as we emerge from this COVID crisis, that people's financial and emotional well-being is going to be a key driver of behaviour. And that means it's really incumbent on financial services business to be able to support that, irrespective of whether you're dealing with a sort of mass affluent retail client or an exceptionally wealthy private client. Right. And I think the changes the current situation has brought will also impact a number of industries, including financial services. And what I like about what you're saying is clients and customers want more control and they want more transparency. And they certainly, in some cases, in my own experience, they're certainly not getting it. My own personal experience with banks and, you know, the bank that I personally deal with as well. Tanvi, what's, you know, if somebody who's going embarking on a journey like yours, right, either it's a large institution or a startup who are dreaming of doing this, what will be a two or three kind of key points you want them to think about? So the first, I think, is to search for the problem that you're trying to solve or the, the area in which you think you can do things differently or make a difference. So I think that's the first thing is that what is that thing that you really want to be able to solve? How do you want to operate? That's really important. Knowing kind of what your framework is for building something, whether that's within an institution or outside of it, is really around, you know, how do you think about things? How are you going to develop this? And who do you need in order to support you in terms of doing that? You know, one of the, the amazing things that we had with you and Brilliant Basics is that you introduced us to a whole different community of you know, new businesses, startups, nascent businesses that were doing amazing things. That's a community you don't generally get to become aware of in large institutions. And having that help, that support, that partnership is incredibly valuable when you're starting out with a new business. So finding those partnerships, finding those people with expertise and asking for help, I think are some of the key ideas. 
That is brilliant. And I've seen that, you know, with my naked eyes, with what you guys have done, you know, the plethora of multi-skilled, multi-disciplined people you have brought in to solve complex problems is a unique way in the digital world that we live in. Uh, stay with us. Uh, once again, you're listening to the Infosys Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics Edition. Today, we are talking about the evolution of wealth management and private banking sector. I can't thank Tanvi enough for joining my podcast, but you know, we've been talking a lot about you know, the customer centricity. We'll be talking about clients want control and transparency in the world of wealth management. To continue the conversation to the next segment, Tanvi, let's talk about the impact of COVID-19, especially in your space. I've spoken to some of your colleagues as well about how the changes in remote working is happening, right? What used to be an industry where people will come to a, a physical location in a, you know, wooden cladded rooms and all those kind of stuff will start to kind of get disrupted. As we kind of move through this crisis, it's kind of really testing us from all aspects. Businesses everywhere face immense disruption. Millions of individuals are getting impacted and we might be on the tipping end of recession here. So while the speed of the recovery depends on the large extent of the success of public health measures globally, as well as interventions from governments and central banks, the pandemic will certainly cause wealth to potentially contract in the near term. Just before we talk about the remote working and the morale and the ways of working, just from a wealth management financial services perspective, do you have a viewpoint in terms of how COVID-19 will impact the financial markets? I think it will accelerate the pace of technological change in the marketplace, whether that's in you know, retail banking or whether that's in insurance or whether that's in any other aspect, including, including wealth management. As I say, I think one of the key changes to take place as a result of this is that people will be very focused on their financial and their emotional well-being. And that means that people are going to be much more thoughtful and vigilant about their wealth. And that sort of really doesn't matter at what end of the spectrum your wealth is, whether you're incredibly wealthy or not really wealthy at all. Um, as you say, there will be and there continue to be job losses um, across many industries. And that is very difficult for lots of people. At the you know, wealthier end, you've seen you know, a significant loss in in wealth as well but you've also seen an increase in philanthropy and people giving so i think that people will really change their behavior in terms of the attention they pay to their financial well-being i think that the way that what clients expect and what they demand and how they interact with their financial services companies will will change and I think that's sort of in an area that sort of everyone is familiar with in retail banking. Digital banks are a, a great example of this. They have been growing at an extraordinary pace. And I think that there will be a fundamental shift to those uh, banks as a result of this crisis. People aren't going to, you know, to a physical branch to go and do stuff. They're able to actually do everything uh, remotely. So I'm of the belief that the technology will enhance and advance people's choices in terms of what they can do and where they can go. So if I look at Monzo or Starling or Revolut as, as three sort of digital 
banks, uh, none of them have been around for that long. I think probably five years at the, at the most. And they're challenging traditional banks that have been around for hundreds of years with you know, significant resources at their disposal. And those digital banks are, are winning. I mean, the traditional banks will fight back, that's for sure. But I think there's a fundamental shift taking place, and I don't think that will be reversed. I was at a breakfast some months ago, obviously pre the crisis, with a group of people that you know could have been our clients and prospects. That's to say, they're pretty successful. Some of them are quite wealthy. And the subject of sort of digital banks came up. And one of the things I was sort of astonished to learn it's probably around twenty people in the room. So almost every single person in the room was a client of one of these digital banks. So I think that with this crisis, they will have found a new set of clients and pace of change in terms of their development, enhancing their offering, enhancing their service is just unparalleled compared to traditional providers. So I think that's one of the areas that there will be a, a real change. You know, in my space, I believe that private clients are going to be more private, that traditionally when people have wanted to come to the office to have a discussion, actually, you know, that's no longer going to be the norm. What will be more the case is that actually people will seek to do things remotely, which is, you know, fantastic because we're able to support international clients as well as domestic clients. I think that they will invite you to their homes, but they're certainly not going to seek to travel into central London and Mayfair to, to come and visit you in the same way. So I think that allows you to really improve and enhance the tools that you use to work with with your clients. So that, those are sort of some of the things that I think are changing. Now, that's really fascinating. And just to kind of add to your points, we also see in our own business like this kind of four areas of disruption. The first one is what they're calling is overnight digitalization, which is basically the companies who are not digital starting to invest, over-invest in digital and move at the pace, double or triple the speed they used to move at, right? So that's the first one. The second one we are seeing is this natural kind of movement towards creativity and innovation, but focusing on what generates value really quickly. The third one, which is really interesting, and, and I would love to talk a little bit more about this, is the whole concept of employee wellness, employee experience, health, employee health, uh, remote ways of working. And the last one, which is obvious in any crisis, is the whole kind of cash preservation and cost containment, right? So these are four kind of patterns we are seeing. Now, the differences between 2008 and now is there is another first three are new entrants to the crisis management, right? Because digital is the only way out in the crisis like COVID-19 uh, in the current situation. So one kind of thought or uh, question on my mind is how have you guys dealt with this? Because you've got a, you know, you've grown significantly in the last five years. Uh, your team are incredibly versatile. How have you managed the transition from working from the office to, you know, working from at least 60 or 70 home offices, right? So love to hear your thoughts on that. It was quite a change and it was a pretty much an overnight change. We took the decision to shift 100% remote uh, on the 17th of, of March. Um, and so the next day, you know, we were all working at home. 
What's fantastic, um, and the team have been brilliant, is that we had tools and capabilities to do so. You know, we had video conference capabilities, we had the ability to transfer phones, everyone had a way to, to work remotely. And so actually, everything worked incredibly well, including people putting through, for the investment management team, putting through thousands of trades from their kitchen tables, as it were. Of course, at that point, it was both a sort of health crisis and a financial crisis. Markets have been incredibly volatile um, and saw a very quick move in, in terms of down, in terms of markets. And then through April and May, you know, an incredibly quick recovery. We're certainly not out of this crisis yet, either on the financial side or on the, on the health side. But actually the team, I mean, really rose to the challenge. We became closer to our clients than we were before. Private clients is really a personal business. You spend a lot of time with your clients and it's a people business. And when you remove the ability to actually spend time with people face to face, then that is quite a difference. And it's certainly a difference for the way that the industry has worked for years and years and years. But it's really interesting. We've become closer to our clients as a result of this. We have been able to engage with them directly, give them very much personalized advice and support because each situation is different and come up with ideas and solutions and opportunities. And the team have done all of that whilst obviously juggling what everyone has juggled, which is care and concern for their families homeschooling and in a home environment where we've got multiple people attempting to work on different and different things and you know a change in the way that you collaborate and support our business is very much a team sport it isn't an individual sport and it's really important that the team are able to work together and collaborate and communicate to ensure that we can give the best ideas and the best solutions for our clients and i have to say it's been really extraordinary there have been heroic efforts by people within our business but i mean across businesses i mean i'm blown away by how businesses have adapted and changed their sort of core capabilities taking their talents whether it's dyson or formula one to take that talent and put it to a different purpose i think that's just extraordinary what those companies have done and I think it really shows you the capabilities and what people are really able to do. I think you've seen more entrepreneurialism in this crisis than we have done in hundreds of years in a, in a way, because every single person has had to find a new way of doing things. And I think that is going to be something that actually stays with people and stays with businesses and hopefully creates you know new entrepreneurs and new opportunities out of what has definitely been obviously a huge crisis and a devastating crisis for many people that is incredible and can only attest to that human beings are incredibly adaptable and what this has shown is companies have become incredibly adaptable in this kind of situation some have taken a little longer than the others but I think, you know, a point about being able to move at speed and solving not just their organizational challenges, but also solving the humanity challenges has been remarkable, remarkable to see. So I completely agree uh, and concur with what you're alluding to. And, you know, one of the things that 
comes to my mind is while that heroism continues in the offline, if I can use that word carefully, offline world, as businesses are reopening now and the lockdown is easing, do you think that you know majority of your workforce will roll back to the office or do you see a more, much more of a blended hybrid model going forward? Yeah, so we've reopened our office. We opened it up on 8th of June. So we've been open for pretty much a month now. And the reality is that actually, whilst it is it is used by a few people, the vast majority of people have actually set themselves up and we've reinforced that sort of setup to allow people to work really well from, from home. And so I'm not expecting there to be a rush back to the office, as it were, because people have actually found a balance in terms of being able to juggle the many things that people have going on in their lives and actually set themselves up. And I think that, you know, there are definitely different challenges in that in terms of you don't have that same social element that you used to at at the office. As you know, we do a, a Thursday afternoon huddle where we all get together and just have a moment to reflect on what's been going on this week, to celebrate stuff that has gone well, to actually reflect on things that perhaps could have done, been done better. But most of all, actually, just to come together and spend time as a group. That is really hard to do, even over a Zoom call, because you can't, uh, you can't all chat to each other. And so whilst you end up having lots of incredibly productive work discussions and you know there are obviously less distractions when you're don't have you aren't in the office in some ways that sort of connectivity is something that you need to to build um and there are you know people that obviously live alone there are people that uh you know live in in households where they're multi-generations there's you know all sorts of different circumstances and that's quite important to recognize as an employer that everyone's got a very different circumstance. And actually, through this period, that people have had to deal with different issues in their sort of home and work setups. So whether that is you've no longer got any form of childcare or school care and you've got to juggle teaching your kids, which I have to say has been one of my challenges, or whether it's been that actually you genuinely have no social interaction because actually you live by yourself and you know feel somewhat lonely and I think that everybody has sort of had a different set of challenges and issues but what's really important is actually as a community as a firm we hopefully have supported each other and been understanding and been more tolerant of different challenges and tried to help each other at different if different times and create almost that sort of support network which you traditionally never perhaps didn't rely on in the same in the same way and i know you know you've been fantastic at giving us lots of tips as to what you're doing and that's the other thing that i love about this in that people have been very generous with their thinking and what they've been doing and that is you know, made us all better and and all stronger, because I think that there's no playbook for this. Nobody knows how to do this. So genuinely, you can invite people to come with ideas. And that's what we did. We did very much so in the firm. And actually almost were surprised at how much enthusiasm there was for discussing and reimagining 
you know, how the business should operate and how we could work and what it could mean. And so I think actually partial remote working will remain a feature for us going, going forward. And the office will actually become a very different, have a different purpose in the way that it traditionally had. We're figuring this out like everybody else is, and we will see how things evolve. But what we want to do is make sure that we can continue to challenge ourselves and stretch our thinking to evolve and develop in this changing landscape. So exciting. And I love what you said about society is becoming more tolerant. And there is a sense of this open source of playbook, right? Nobody has gone through this. The whole world is suffering because of this but also a whole world has come together to share the intellectual property, to make each other better, each other stronger, and which is the real kind of socio-economic change that's happening out there as well, which can only make us better at everything that we do. And talking about betterment, the last kind of strand to our conversation, if I may, is about entrepreneurship, right? And Tanvi, you know, you're an incredible business leader. I can even call you an entrepreneur. The five-year-long journey, starting a company from scratch, just to kind of share with the listeners and budding entrepreneurs, what are the couple of things uh, they should think about, right, in becoming successful entrepreneurs? And not even successful entrepreneurs, even giving it a shot and, and getting on the ladder of entrepreneurship? So the first thing is I don't really consider myself an entrepreneur, possibly an accidental entrepreneur, but certainly not an entrepreneur in the way that, you know, you are and many others. But I guess the biggest tip I would give to people is to have what is described as a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So I don't know if that's a a term you're familiar with, but it was devised by a Stanford professor, Carol Dweck, and actually she's written a book called Mindset. And it really explores the idea that people believe that actually, if you have a fixed mindset, you have a belief that actually you have a sort of inherent ability to do stuff and that, you know, you are therefore either successful at something and talented at something or you're not. And therefore, they focus in terms of what they believe, you know, they're capable of. So that's what a fixed mindset is. And then a growth mindset fundamentally believes that actually challenge and failure is a huge learning opportunity. And that actually with hard work and persistence that you can evolve and develop and genuinely get better at something. And that giving it a go is absolutely worthwhile because even if you fail, you will learn something from it and it will make you stronger and better as you go forward. Um, And that's something that, you know, I certainly try and impart to my kids who sometimes uh, when they first do something, find it hard and genuinely say, oh, I'm not good at that. But it's actually incredibly important as an entrepreneur and in a business is to have this ability to really create a growth mindset. And that means that actually it's okay to fail you know, you have to push yourselves outside of your outside of your comfort zone, that you need to challenge yourself and you need to challenge your colleagues because that's how you will get stronger and that's how you will develop. And I think, although I'm, you know, as I say, I don't describe myself as a entrepreneur, I have definitely failed at more things than I have succeeded in. And I think that that sort of mindset of giving it a go, trying things and sort of almost agitating to do better 
is something that stands entrepreneurs in good stead, but all of us in, in good stead in terms of trying things out. So that would probably be my key thing is to have that mindset of challenging yourself and going to do it. And even if it doesn't work out, you will learn and gain a huge amount from the experience and that that will build resilience into you as an individual and your businesses. Um, and I read an article actually a couple of weeks ago by the journalist Azim Azar, and he talked about one of the key things sort of emerging from this crisis is that those that you know, will come out of it well will be those that have built resilience in their businesses and I believe that that means not just in terms of the business and runway and those sort of things, but actually resilience into the people and also relevance. So are you relevant uh, going forward in a post-COVID world? And if you're not, then that is an opportunity to reinvent. Amazing. And resilience is, um, is a word that I really kind of connect with um, personally, but also, you know, we're seeing incredible amount of resilience from everyone as well and what a great advice thank you might not call yourself an entrepreneur than me but i certainly consider you as a as a successful entrepreneur and leader so thanks for that advice and thanks for you know incredibly insightful discussion as well uh, we have a tradition on my podcast to talk about you know a favorite book that you have recently read or reading and also you know some insights from that Sure. So I've just finished a book by Malcolm Gladwell, his most recent book called Talking to Strangers. So I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with Mal Malcolm Gladwell, but I am a huge fan. So uh, he's written some fantastic books called Blink, Outliers. If you haven't read them, definitely worth a read. But Talking to Strangers is, is a great book because it talks about actually how we are biased and how we have certain you know misconceptions in dealing with strangers and in any business that sort of people that is a people business which of course are, are businesses as well it's a fascinating insight into just how easy it is to misunderstand people to misread people and the sort of consequences that can have so it's it's definitely worth a read and i'm currently reading but i've only just started a book by Stephen Schwartzman, who has written a book called What It Takes. So Stephen Schwartzman is the co-founder and CEO of Blackstone and has an incredible journey. Um, and he's written a book that really sort of details the journey that he's had to building uh, one of the most foremost financial services businesses out there. So that's where I've started. Uh, haven't finished it yet, but uh, I know it's going to be a fantastic read. Amazing, and I'm going to I'm going to order both of them this evening to my reading collection as well. So thank you for that advice. Tanvi, how can people find you online? Are you on LinkedIn or such platforms? I am on LinkedIn, so people can find me on there, um, and obviously can follow what we're doing at Saranac Partners also on LinkedIn or on our website. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time and highly interesting discussion. I've learned loads from that and I'm pretty sure our listeners will learn and share their views on this as well. 
Everyone, you can find the details of this show on our show notes and transcripts at emphasis.com forward slash IKI in our podcast section. What a great discussion. You've been listening to the Infosys Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics Edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design, and future work. Today, we had a discussion about the evolution of wealth management, financial services, the role of technology, customer experience, and of course, a world post-COVID-19, and also entrepreneurship. Thanks to our guest, Tanvi Davda, for being part of this show today. Also, thanks to our producer and researcher, Yulia Debari, and the entire Knowledge Institute and Brilliant Basics team. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing. And of course, stay safe.